Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, the host of PureAndSimpleBible.com, introducing the third part in a mini-series about the reign of God. You need to pause if you haven't listened to the first two episodes. You really should go back and listen to them, and then come back to this one. And hopefully you're caught up now. So we're talking with Brother Jamie Thompson about a macro view of the reign of God across the scriptures and how this reign and understanding the kingdom really helps us unlock uh, a deeper appreciation and understanding of the gospel itself. So let's get back into the conversation, shall we? I've talked to you about it. I've had others who are on this podcast who've talked about the kingdom and, and the value of the Davidic covenant. I'm excited because it seems like this is part of a, a bigger conversation that's happening within the Lord's Church in recent years, and that is the how important the Davidic covenant seems to be. Yeah, and it's a lot more important than at least me. At least I've given it uh, value as I've read through the Bible, but I'm looking at it through fresh eyes. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Why did you decide to include it in this study on the reign of God? Well, so we're looking at major narrative themes in the Bible. We're looking at the big picture of the Bible rather than the granular detail. We're backing up from the New Testament, and we're looking at what is God's purpose through the whole of the Bible from beginning to end. We're looking at God starts off reigning, but then he chooses a special people. People are special not because they were special beforehand, but they're special because God chose to give them grace uh, and they're to be his special people. Mm -hmm. Then he chooses from within that special people one individual to, to bless and make a covenant with. And um, as we go through our study, we'll see how that goes into the New Testament. So... This uh, Davidic covenant is one more step in God revealing himself that we were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation. Sure. And uh, if, we, if we miss that, then we miss how the reign of God develops uh, in this uh, special uh, specified sense. I guess, is it an eternal reign, but then there's this special reign starts coming in. Yeah. Well, going back to the example of the Magna Carta, although it's a very base example and, and, and doesn't work entirely well, but the idea of a king and his subjects kind of hammering out an agreement. But obviously on this side of, of, of the example, God is uh, supreme overall with total authority, and so he's not abdicating any of that. He's just willing and gracious and loving enough to give us the audience to be a part of the covenant. It's it's fun because last night I preached uh, at Valley Parkway, and uh, the sermon was the Son of God slash Son of Man slash Son of David, and it was the idea of these titles that are used in the Gospels. And I have an image of six mountaintops and how there seems to be six major covenant points where it's like the Bible takes us to the mountaintop, and then from there theme. Things always seem to go back down into the valleys, but it, you know there's a covenant with Noah, uh, with Adam, covenant with Noah, 
covenant with Abraham, covenant with Moses. And we kind of know about those ones. Uh, but there's also the covenant with David. And for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with that covenant, what is it about? And why does it belong in this, um, I guess, display case of, of wonder when it comes to the covenants that God made? That covenant with Adam's a controversial one. <laughs> That's another discussion. I'm not sure I'll buy it, but your point is definitely valid. The covenant with David um, is... Wait, you don't think that in Genesis 3, the seed, like the the seed of, of Adam and Eve overcoming the seed of of the devil is not a like the proto-evangelium covenant... I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's your finish your question? Uh, the, you don't think that's a, I guess, the first great covenant of of God explaining that some something will come from you. I think it's undoubtedly a promise, a messianic promise. There's no doubt about that. But, but you wouldn't just, want to call it a covenant. Yeah, I wouldn't want to okay. call it a covenant. And I, I didn't. I'm not saying that to come down hard on it. I'm just saying I'm not convinced. You know, there's always in the Psalms, there's something about um, the king of Tyre has broken the covenant like Adam. Some translations it says Adam and some says man because Adam means man. man in Hebrew. And uh, if you translate that passage as man rather than Adam, there's no mention of a covenant with Adam at all. First covenant that's mentioned is with Noah. That's fair. So get out. I don't want to. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, then well, let's just say there's That a... was not meant as a rebuke. No, no, I no. I hope no. nobody takes it like that. Jonathan is one of my very best friends, <laughs> and I just love talking and sharing an opinion, and we'll have a conversation about this later and uh, oh, sure, share certainly. opinions. Certainly. Well, I'm glad people are getting to hear it. Um, I would. I, I plan to include this, if that's okay with you, as we just... I would rather you have brought it up that you are skeptical about it than just to go along with it. So kudos to you for that. Um, this is one take. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're making a point just that there are multiple covenants yes. in the Old Testament. Yes. Can we agree on that, Jamie? Yeah, we can agree on that. <laughs> and in fact, um, so uh, I don't know that, again, that it would be a covenant, but God makes an agreement with Aaron that he's going to have, uh, his family is going to have the priesthood. You, mm. you can't be a priest if you're um, just a regular Levite, uh, you can't be a priest if you're not in Levite. You have to be a descendant of Aaron to be a priest. That was an agreement that God made specifically with Aaron and his family, but it benefited the whole nation because now they have priests. Similarly, God made a covenant with David and his descendants that wasn't with the whole nation, but it benefited the whole nation. And in fact, it benefited benefited all of humanity. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what was it specifically that, that God covenanted with David, and how did it benefit us? So um, we can look at, uh, was it, I guess, First Samuel? I don't have it written down where it is. Oh, Second Samuel 7. Okay. I was in the wrong Samuel. But what I do want to look at is uh, David wrote about it in Psalm 89. Okay. So uh, we're going to read... It's a long passage, so I'm just going to take out the, the and read the bits that I'm particularly interested in. Sure. Um, you want to read Psalm 89, 3 and 4? Yeah. And then uh, verse 20? Sure. 
It says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations, Selah. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. So the covenant with David is important because it's um, God promises that the throne or the reign of David will endure forever. Mm-hmm. Isn't, this isn't just a temporary blessing for one person. This is something that's going to uh, happen forever. So when we talk about the reign of God, God's going to set up David and his descendants are going to reign forever. So that's clearly important in the context of God's reign as it develops through Bible history. Not, again, he, he reigns always over everything, but in a special sense, he is setting up this kingdom within a kingdom. For Bible nerds such as myself, we know that the king, the kingdom gets overthrown. And so how is God faithful to this covenant when the line of kings seems to be broken? Excellent question. <laughs> Thoughts? That is why the book of Daniel is written. <laughs> and we will get there momentarily. Oh, sorry. I've gone out of order once again. No, no. We're, we're actually just about to be there. I'm out. Let me, let me, no, uh, I appreciate the question. Let me read Psalm 89 verses 27 through 37. Okay. All right. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep on him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make uh, to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. So, unconditional promise. He will reign and his sons will reign forever. Mm -hmm. Verse 30. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments... If they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, what do you think is going to happen? Verse 32, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. That answers your question. It does. Verse 33, nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. So even though the line of kings was broken, there is going to be a... um, a branch, a root from, uh, a a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Mm -hmm. Jesse being the father of David. Right, right, right. Um, Verse 34, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. You know, I think about that. I'm interrupting myself here. I think about this every Lord's Day when we partake of the communion. God Praise God that he is faithful because we are not. And God would be entirely justified of ripping up his covenant the first time we break it. Mm -hmm. But he is faithful when we are not. And thank God for that. Amen. Amen. Making myself tear up here. (laughs) Uh, Verse 35. Uh, Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. So you've had, you have answered the question with the scriptures. Yes. Even though historically the, the line of kings fails, there's going to be a descendant of David, or there's going to be part of the house. Something about the house of David endures forever. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And so I think part of the reason that Daniel was written was because the Israelites are in exile in Babylon. And it seems like King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian gods are reigning. What happened to God? What happened to the, the one true God? What happened to his covenant with his servant David? In Daniel's writing, remember, he interprets that dream of that giant statue. It had the, the head of gold, mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the arms of silver, the, the belly and thighs of bronze, and the, the, the feet of, um, of iron, and then the, the feet of, was it the? Iron and clay. The legs of iron and the, the um, feet of iron and clay. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's that stone, we already referenced this, that is cut without hands, that strikes it on the feet. The whole thing crumbles down, is ground into dust, and is blown away, and the stone grows into a great mountain. Right. And in the days of those kings, God would set up his kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I think part of the point of Daniel is it's giving God's people an encouragement that God still reigns, even though they're being punished. They're being punished for the people's iniquity, for David's descendants' iniquity. And this is the rod of chastisement that God is... He did that to individuals. Sometimes a king was punished and the kingdom kept going on. The kingdom of Israel, physical Israel, kept going on. But eventually God said enough is enough and the nation was destroyed and dispersed. But um, God was faithful to his promises. If God is faithful to his promises, but he also divorced Israel for a time, can we say that he divorced Israel or he put her away? I'm pretty sure that, that that word is used. And I can't give you book, chapter, and verse. It's one of the minor prophets, and God's saying that he uh, that uh, because put of, away is he put away uh, Israel because of her unfaithfulness, right. and, and um, Judah instead of uh, repenting, um, that went into idolatry even more and threatens to put her away i don't remember exactly how it all goes but is he faithful to his covenant when he puts them away yes because now we, we need to look at ex- exactly what the passage says sure to have a, a better understanding and a better discussion sure but um what part of the sinai covenant is unconditional Oh, that's a good question. Now, we've highlighted that a part of the Davidic covenant is unconditional. It's not entirely unconditional because he doesn't say every one of David's descendants will reign. Right, right. But there is a conditional and an unconditional. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think about in the book of Deuteronomy, all the chapters that are called, I think the the little headings are called blessings and curses. Mm -hmm. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And so, yeah, uh, he would not be a righteous God if he didn't put them away. Did I just speak a double negative? I think I did. The idea is that he, that he it he would have to put them away to be faithful to the covenant that he made, right? I can't answer that off the fly, Jonathan. <laughs> I don't know. I think that might be going too far, but it's starting to get late, I guess. <laughs> Right in to uh, <laughs> what's your podcast email address? Appearanceofabible at gmail.com. And um, we'll review your answers <laughs> and pick the best one and read it out on air. There you go. There you go. Uh, I guess I'm just thinking that uh, he's faithful 
because he's faithful to what he said in Deuteronomy. Whenever, if you disobey, then the people, you know, foreign peoples will come in, you will be punished. I think it depends what you mean by put away. If you mean completely reject Israel, then that didn't happen in the Old Testament, even to Daniel's point, that although Israel was dispersed and exiled, he was still faithful to them and was willing to sure. bring them back. Sure. Now, when you get to eighty seventy, I think that's where um, God does away with Israel. Right. But um, but even Romans eleven, I think, would say that anyone who any like we shouldn't be proud because we can also be cast out and any branch if if God can take the wild olive shoot and grafted into the tree of faith how much more could he graft back in and that's exactly where this study's going to end up ah i did it again <laughs> yeah, yeah we're we're thinking on the same wavelength here okay okay well i apologize for spoiling your points time and time again um you need to stop saying sorry you're not spoiling anything we're just <laughs> we're 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 Doing it non-sequentially, sure, which is just fine. Sure, let's let's wrap up this section on Davidic covenant and then move into the final one. I think so. The final one on the kingdom of God, um, or kingdoms in the gospel, rather. So, I guess summarize for me, and you've talked some about Daniel in particular, um, and and what else would be maybe important for us before we move into the gospels to know about the Davidic covenant. So the people are in exile. And eventually they come back, but um, the the kingdom isn't what it used to be. Sure, there isn't even a king. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're under the, the the thumb of different Gentile powers. But the the prophets, time and time again, look to the restoration of Israel. And I've got here Amos nine and verse eleven. It says, "On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages." I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. So God is after the exile is and the prophets are looking back to David and saying, one day David's going to come back. Um, His house is going to be rebuilt and he's going to reign as before. Mm. So they're looking back towards that promise. And that's really uh, that echoes through the rest of um, the Bible, through the prophets. This restoration of Israel. As we get into this last point on the kingdom and the gospels, just a, a final thought on David, because um, that's fresh in my mind. I preached it last night. Is is how the people in the gospels many times referred to him as the son of David, and they wouldn't have had access to his genealogy, and so it has to have been more than. Um, He's a bloodline descendant. It's like they're testifying. I think the point you're making here, they're acknowledging his lordship, part of God's reign, would include the title, the son of David, because they know the Davidic promise. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I think they would have had access to his lineage because uh, first Pharisee that his son of David is going to go look up the... Look up the you think so the lineage and say oh no he's uh he's not from David's stock at all oh that's a good point I okay. I think um I don't know how much access the average Jew would have yeah I guess that's what I was was intending is like a blind Bartimaeus or 
the Syrophoenician woman who who calls him son of David. Mm-hmm. I don't think they went to the synagogue and you know researched it. No, but it was obviously something that was uh, that got around. But your point is absolutely right. This is a messianic title. This is the fulfillment of the promise of the the, the covenant with David, and they're saying that as the son of David, you are the Messiah. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're the branch, the the shoot from the stump of Jesse, all those promises in the prophets, the promises to David, Jesus is fulfilling them. And that's what the people are saying. That's why the priests and the Pharisees are so upset. Well, let's uh, yeah, shifting this from the, the son of David, which is so much fun. I love I'm reading the, the, the Gospels and in the New Testament with fresh eyes since thinking about son of David being a messianic title but you the way that you structure your, your study is you focus on uh, looking at the, the idea of kingdom in the gospels and, and now that we've kind of looked at it in the reign of god in all these different ways suddenly now whenever jesus and, and john the baptist are saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is near right uh the implications of that are maybe a bit different than than we thought earlier so what are we what are you wanting to accomplish in this last section we need to keep in mind the story of the Bible. I think when we hear Jesus and John preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we shouldn't only hear the church is about to be established. Mm-hmm. Now, that's how it's ultimately going to be fulfilled. But that's not what the Jews would have heard. They would have heard, well, the Lord God reigns forever and ever. They would have heard, uh, the the promises, uh, the, the the Sinai promises. They would have heard the Davidic promises. They would have heard the promises of the prophets to restore the tabernacle of David. And so when Jesus comes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And and John the Baptist too. We need to understand what the the original audience would have been hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no, the gospel writers themselves. We don't, we don't even need to put ourselves in the position of those uh, first century BC, well, I guess first century AD Jews that were listening to John the Baptist and Jesus, right. because the gospel writers expect us to have a background in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're using Old Testament language, expecting us to pick up on that and to... Um, bring the story of the Bible that's developed so far into our reading of the New Testament. So, for example, um, in Luke uh, chapter chapter 2, right, we read about um, Simeon, who was in Jerusalem. Yeah, the old man. That, the old man. Right. Met them in the temple. Yes. Whenever Jesus is a baby. It would, was revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw um, the Messiah. And uh, what was he doing? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? The consolation of Israel. Restoration. Restoration. So the restoring. Yes. Okay. Now remember, Israel had come back from exile, but the restoration wasn't complete. They were looking for the tabernacle of David to be restored. Um, and in the same chapter, you've got the... Um, uh, Anna, the prophetess, who dwelt in the temple, and um, 
verse uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 38 and coming in at that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who were looking who looked for redemption in Jerusalem so and all I just want to highlight that phrase all who were looking for redemption in Jerusalem yes so that there's a it's bigger than just Simeon and Anna yes there's a, a there was an expectation that Israel would be restored mm-hmm. now there was obviously a militant uh, uh, expectation for the restoration of Israel among the nations, mm-hmm. but that doesn't seem what seem seem like uh, what Simeon and Anna had. They weren't looking for revenge against the Romans; they were looking for God's blessings, mm-hmm. and they were um, happy about this baby. And so, when we get to um, Acts chapter one and verse six, where the apostles come up to Jesus after his resurrection and before his ascension, and says. Um, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And we shouldn't be surprised about that because right. that's what God's people had been looking for right. because God had promised right. the restoration of the throne of David. Yeah, I've in the past in Acts 1 verse 6, I've, I've kind of like scolded them. Like, how could they still be thinking about that? But if we are looking at this in through kingdom eyes or, you know, the reign of God eyes, it's a very appropriate question. Yes. Yes, and Jesus doesn't rebuke them for it. He just says it's not for you to know the times or the epochs that the Father has uh, put in place. Right. And so uh, the answer seems to be you'll find out when you find out. (laughs) It's a need-to-know basis. Sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, it's not surprising that they were looking for the restoration, and I feel like... um, uh, while God's going to do something new with his Messiah, it's going to be rooted in the old because Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that God had made in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when we read the New Testament and read what Jesus did, what Jesus does for us, we need to read it in light of the Old Testament promises because God said, I will not lie to David. I will fulfill my promises my covenant to him. That's a really good point, that the new is not about separation and something totally distinct, but rather new, meaning the fulfillment of, and really the culmination, what was the word, the consolation of the old law. Yes. It's the, the, this restoration or the redemption back to the covenant promises that God's made of old. They're, they're, they're connected. That's a good point. What, uh, you've got a quote from McGuigan. Did you want to read it? Is that uh, let's, um, something to skip over? What do you want to yeah, do? Yeah, let's, that? let's, um, so Jesus comes into the scene, kind of coming back from Acts, um, into back to him preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, okay. And, um, uh, he, he gives different illustrations of the kingdom. And so in Matthew chapter 8, and verses 10 through 12, it says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed. So this is the centurion's faith. Okay. So maybe the cho- choice of uh, beginning the quotation wasn't the greatest, but the centurion has this great faith. Uh, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. 
But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's very important for us to understand when Jesus is preaching the kingdom of heaven being at hand, mm-hmm. this is the same kingdom that those will come from east and west, the Gentiles will come and sit down with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to sit down in the same kingdom, but the sons of the kingdom, the disbelieving Jews, they're going to be cast out of the kingdom. So we have this concept of the kingdom stretches back into the Old Testament to the patriarchs before the Jewish nation, uh, Israel. But it also stretches forward in time as well. And so even though Jesus is coming to establish a kingdom, there's uh, some sort of continuity here. I, I'm sensing a connection to Romans 11. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is this the part where you bring it up? Well, or? let's let's contrast quickly um, with Matthew chapter 13. Okay. So Jesus, the point here is, you can't just say the kingdom of he- heaven or the kingdom of God is this one thing. There are different aspects to the kingdom. And this is what I've tried to highlight from creation to the end of time. There are different aspects of God's kingdom. We can't sure. look at it as just one simple thing. It's multifaceted. So um, so let me just ask this question. <clears throat> or maybe I'm going to make a statement and then you can comment on it. I'm not sure how to phrase it. The church is in the kingdom, but the kingdom isn't exclusively the church. Yes. Just like Israel was in the kingdom, and you could dis- you could say Israel is the kingdom. That is a true statement, but it's not the only aspect of the kingdom. The kingdom is not. The kingdom is also exclusively Egypt. Exclusively Israel. Yeah, okay. Okay. The kingdom is all creation. Sure. Y- there's, that's just a different aspect of the kingdom. Okay. The kingdom is the church, and you can describe them. You can say the kingdom is the church. That's true, but that's not the only true thing about the kingdom. Right. Okay. Because otherwise, how could um, those come from east and west and sit at the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They were, they were never in the church. Good point. Good point. So going back to that image of circle within circle within circle, the, that tightest, the smallest circle is those who um, are doing the will of God, or they're, 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 God is ruling with their consent, not yes. without their consent. And they have special favor from God. Right, through faith. Yes. And so these people in the Old Testament who had faith, and those who live under the New Covenant in faith, are coming together. This is the continuity, because yes. through faith... Uh, we have access to the grace by which we stand. Yes, and and this is this is another tension in the Bible where there is uh, continuity between the people of God throughout time, but there is also some discontinuity because the church is distinct from um, Israel, from the patriarchs, but there is a sense in we all come together in the kingdom of God. I think this is a good stopping point for us, and we're going to come back next week to wrap it up. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. I'm looking forward to the fourth part. I hope you are as well. 
And until next week, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, to check out all the resources that you can download and utilize for free. And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.